cliffcentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. Cliffcentral.com. Oh, that sounds terrible. That sounds actually terrible. My aux cable is giving me more fuzz than the winter jersey. No problem. Got lots to talk about today, so I don't need any big intros. I've got Sean Wilson in the studio today. Now, if you remember listening to The Bounce Show when it first started, or if you listened to me back when I used to work on the Bulls uh, radio, it's my first ever touch onto radio. Sean was a massive part. I learned a whole bunch about rugby from him. And um, he's back, which is really, really cool. But before we get into that rugby, wow, there's so much to recap on. Uh, I know I've been promising the rugby interview. I told you I'd bring a big gun, so here he is. But just right now in sport, there is so much going on. I mean, let's start with tennis, right? Did you watch that Eugenie Bouchard versus Maria Sharapova? That was cool. That was fun. See, women's tennis is actually really great when you get to Wimbledon, right? And uh, the fact that there's rivalries back in it now again, because obviously Eugenie Bouchard, who's really, really hot, Wow, she's attractive. Um, she was bad-mouthing Sharapova. Sharapova, you know, was taking that Meldonium stuff. And there's, like, tension. And apparently people are getting behind the fact that Bouchard was playing against Sharapova. She allegedly got all these messages of support from people who don't really have the guts to speak out against Sharapova. That was a cool story. Uh, football, wow, that's going so well. It's obviously a big Champions League week uh, this week. So Juventus is just unstoppable right now. I think they've scored, sorry, they've conceded three goals in the whole tournament. So they're now through to the final. They beat Monaco in the second leg, 2-1. So 4-1 aggregate. And then um, last week, uh, Atletico took three goals to Real. And they took another one last night. So that was 4-2 on aggregate there. Uh, Atletico won the match, but, you know, it's all about the aggregate score. So it's going to be the one that everyone's going to be thinking of. It's going to be Real Madrid versus Juventus in Cardiff. So it gets very glamorous until you say Cardiff. But Wales is cool. I can tell you that much. So that's going to be 3rd of June. Uh, Prem- PSL, Premier Soccer League here in South Africa. Well, that's uh, Vitz versus Sundowns. Now, last night was a big night, seeing as they both played. Vitz got smashed by... um Free State Stars, I think it was. No one saw that coming. And then from there, Sundowns had the big chance versus Barocca. Of course, Barocca and Free State Stars are both quite shite, really, the bottom of the table. And then um, Sundowns blew a golden opportunity. They conceded a penalty in injury time. Barocca put it away, 2-2. So Vitz lead by two with two games to go. Two slightly tougher matches, but uh wow, how cool to have a title race that's going to be run down to the end. Unlike England, uh, Chelsea have pulled away. Uh, if they win this weekend, they essentially wrap it up. So but we all knew that was going to happen. In golf, well, champ, uh, t- talking of champions, 48 of the top 50 in the world are playing the Players' Championship this weekend. And uh, that itself is pretty, really exciting. There's the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, Circuit de Catalunya, I think it's called. That's going to be happening this weekend as well. The uh, Blitzbox are back in the sevens. They're playing in Paris. And if they win that and the nearest rivals don't do so well, they can wrap it up all in one go. And cricket, if you're still into the IPL, that's getting close to that sort of final stage. Um, as of next week, the Proteas actually start playing cricket in England. 
I think the first match will be against Sussex or something like that. So it really is all to play for. It is the 11th of May. Thank you for joining me. And my name is Ben Karpinski. If you have stumbled upon here by accident, which I highly doubt because you listen to the show because you want cutting edge, innovative and insightful sporting opinions. So before I get into Sean, uh, I didn't realize this intro was going to be so long, but what I do want to talk about just very quickly, I put something on the, on the bounce of Cedars today last uh, yesterday. It was uh, this big feature on David Ferretti. Now, if you don't know who David Ferretti is, he basically was a pro golfer back in the 70s. Like, he was pretty handy. He wasn't like Colin Montgomery good or anything like that in European terms. But, you know, he played some Ryder Cups. He was always pretty good. But he lived the life in the 70s. Back then, you were getting hammered. You were hooking up with women all over the place. It was like back when when being a pro golfer was not so glamorous and it wasn't obviously as lucrative, but cheap as those guys had a, a lot of fun and they partied really hard. And uh, he was on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show this week, and he had a whole bunch of things to say. And this guy's just, he's not just like a golfing personality, like he's really, really funny. And he's got his own show, of course, the Golf Channel. And I mean, this is a guy who's interviewed Obama, he interviewed George W. Bush, he interviewed Trump before he became the president, when he was in his presidential run-in. So he's interviewed a whole bunch of people. And of course, he obviously interviews the contemporary golfing talents of the day. But uh, here he is talking to Jimmy Fallon, and... Uh, Ferretti's got great stories. Like he's just got endless, endless stories. So here's one I wanted to share with you, just in the run into the players um, about back in his playing days, how he had the worst caddy known to man. You told me that you once had the worst caddy. You worked with the worst caddy ever. Oh, he. he Okay, I've got to work out what the hell is wrong with this aux cable. Well, let me just try something very quickly for you, Sean. This is probably a good time for me to intro you while I've had my technical difficulty. Just like the old days. And I've screwed that up as well. <laughs> it's so embarrassing when Sean Kevin just here today. Uh, he hasn't been here for like over a year, okay? And I, I mean, you might have, might have actually noticed that I haven't exactly been a radio for the longest time. And uh, I wanted to show Sean how good I am at all this shit now. <laughs> as you can see, that's going particularly well. <laughs> so, Sean, um, we're going to talk rugby today. How's the season gone so far? I mean, are you upbeat? Are you not so much? Are you feeling indifferent? Um, I'll never feel indifferent about rugby, but I think a lot of um, I think I don't share that sentiment with many fans. Sadly, um, I think I'm more interested than than most emotions. Actually, I mean, it's a big. I mean, I mean, while last while 2016 took a lot of South African rugby plans uh, rugby fans by surprise, including me, of course. It's just how deep our problems were once yeah. the results started falling on the field. It just feels like a real turning point coming up in this year, coming into uh, the first test matches coming up in June in the direction that the Springboks going to take. And initial signs from Super Rugby have been mixed, to be polite. Well, it's almost been a Super Rugby with two halves, to throw a quick cliche in there. But um, we'll get to that in a sec. I think I might have discovered uh, what was wrong with the Aux cable. So what I was... <laughs> What I was getting at, I wanted to quickly play this David Ferretti clip before we get into Sean and the rugby. No, this is just not working. You wouldn't trust him to sit the right Let's go make a note that um, aux cable screwed. And, ha- and you know what, this time, it's not me. Okay, Sean, I'm just going to have... Rodney Yeah, that one's screwed, that one's screwed. Anyway, we can figure out that one later. Go on to the bounce of CO.ZA. There's all these great clips. There's uh, also a great thing about Mike Tyson back in the day when he was 16 and he was kicking everyone's ass. You know, Sean, we'll get to in a second. But you know, back when Mike Tyson was coming up the ranks, nobody would fight him. 
So he was like 16 and he was a badass amateur, but he was, didn't look too different to what he looked like when he was the world heavyweight champion, which incidentally was, was two years after. And, uh, he would rock up to fights and literally walkovers. The only person that would come into the ring would be the guy with the trophy to give it to him because he would win. <laughs> he was, his, his coach was so worried about his development because he, the only guys mm. he could fight were like fully grown boxing professional men wow. in a sparring position. So he was very worried that he wasn't going to develop at the right pace. Sure. Meanwhile, he just got tired of like, fighting nobody and then just ended up fighting everyone. Right. So, technical difficulties aside, Sean, I've got to start with Super Rugby, right? Now, as it started out, I went to Stormers versus the Bulls at Newlands. Opening week of Super Rugby, I mean, it all came flooding back to me. A couple of beers at mm-hmm. Newlands. You walk down those tree-lined streets. You get into the stadium. There's a bit of a buzz going on, and the Stormers absolutely hammered the old foes. They all stayed on afterwards. The fans ran into the field. It was joyous. It was a beautiful Cape Town evening. Everything was great. I was like, this is a really good start, but I'm not going to get excited. Then they beat the Jaguars. Then they beat, obviously, they beat the Kings. Uh, they beat a few other teams and then they hammered the Chiefs. And I thought, shit, maybe this is it. Mm. Maybe this is the season where I get a little bit more excited. Start with my jersey. Let be that guy. <laughs> and then it all came absolutely crashing down. So I do want to start with the Stormers in particular with you. And then we touch on a few other things. Um, were you surprised or was it just inevitable? Because it always happens. Like come week 10, we're playing with our fifth choice fly half. The injuries are going through the roof, and eventually we just play guys who are fitter. But were you kind of surprised after the start, or was it just almost like a false dawn? I wasn't surprised that coming back. I'm certainly not surprised that coming back from New Zealand nord out of three, even after the Chiefs yeah. game. Um, possibly some of the margins might have surprised me a bit. I mean, at running the risk, I mean, they nearly ran the risk of conceding 50 points three times in a row. I don't even think the Kings have that record. They don't. They don't. <laughs> Amazingly, I looked that up. <laughs> um, so, so, so that that took me a bit by surprise. But also, I mean, once he hit that, once he hit that period, I also found the way that they chose selection along with the injury problems that happen, as you say, yeah. around about week five, week six, where your initial balance of the side looks very different to what you were drilling in preseason. I I felt you know like Sia Khaleesi missed the first match in New Zealand through that Springbok rotation policy, right. which you're not allowed to play X amount of games consecutively as an agreement with Alistair Kutsia and all the boys. Which disrupted, and then they started that game with a mixed match backline, and they just never felt in control of the game. And I think the one lesson that they learned from New Zealand was that, or that I hope they learned from New Zealand, is that obviously we've come out of it, we've been screaming for years that the Stormers need to work on their attacking play. It's all yeah. good to hold the score down to 15, but if you can't score more than 12, you're going to lose. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, while that had to be developed, I think they need to realize that the balance of it, that if you're attacking and you, like, if you get up to your opponent's 22 with possession don't just throw the wild pass to try to force the deal if there isn't space yeah. because not only is that a butchered opportunity that's probably conceding a try hurricanes how many coast to coast tries did we see against the hurricanes and the highlanders and the crusaders for that matter so bore attention is still going to be key around here and i think that's been off it's just been the problem with all springbok rugby teams one side all south african rugby sides one side or the other really they've been obsessed with one aspect of the game that they need to work on and neglect the other it's mm. a balanced game that they haven't quite worked on but, but i guess that does come with continuity of selection if you've got a structure right mm. it's difficult to keep it if you play now with a third choice player in a position if you were to go back beginning of the season right and you would look at the current team sheet that last ran out for the stormers you'd be going oh, when did we sign him or is that guy still in varsity you know yeah. you, that, that back line in particular 
as much talent and potential as is there, it's like there's no Dallander, there's no John de Jong. And even when the, their most harshest critics won't want him in the box setup, whatever, you know those guys are going to keep a structure out of just playing seniority. Our fly-offs, I mean, Dylan Lade's wild hair and a big headband was essentially our fly-off for the Hurricanes. So it must be so difficult for Robbie Flake, especially after the start. But this is just, you can't keep saying this is just bad luck. You can't just no. keep saying, oh, you know, bad fixture list. It feels every single year it just breaks down like this. And I know we're talking sure. about the Stormers, but I feel it, it's, it's become a South African Super Rugby problem as well. Now, then people say, oh, yeah, but it's the overseas signings. All the players are going away. But I just feel like I'm so tired of all these excuses that we should have some sort of, not such a plan B, but there's got to be a lot more to, to our character than having all these excuses because we're getting pretty, pretty damn good at these excuses now. Unconditioned players is the big one this week. Mm. Thanks, Nollis. Yeah. Um, absolutely agree with you with that sentiment. I mean, while the exodus of players is going to be a massive factor in terms of um, how the top teams perform, of course. I mean, I think the number somewhere between 250 and 300 players overseas, of course, yeah. it's going to make an impact. But with our production line, which is arg- arguably, you know, from our school system, it's got to be up there with the best in the world, if not the best in the world. Sure. Um, how is it that we can't refine this talent? Um, if we're going to pick an area to immediately scapegoat as we would like, I've I've just been very suspicious of coaching at the top level of well, on, on most levels in South Africa. I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because if you want to look at um, continuity, big names, or whatever, when this Crusaders team started this tournament, okay, that iffy first game against mm-hmm. the Brumbies, and he looks and you go, well, you know, the cracks are finally finding the show. You know, no Carter, no McCall. Yeah. These guys haven't been replaced. Absolutely. Meanwhile, look at the Crusaders now. And also, like, even go away from Carter McCall. Look at that other level of Crusaders player down the years that's been lost to them behind stars like that. You know, they've lost players like Colin Slade. Remember, like, Young Flowers are trying to be. Remember that guy Tyler Blyandall yeah. all those years ago? All these guys that were, like, kind of second and third choice of the Crusaders have sought greener pastures and exactly. these guys have not been part of a five-year plan or six-year plan to develop what you're seeing in front of you they've just been brought into a very very strong team culture with very very clear ideas of how they want to play rugby and that can be uh, communicated to players in a way to execute it properly even when they haven't been involved in the setup for that long yeah and it's that type of organization and vision and clear thinking that uh, unions want to commit that unions must commit to that i think has been missing in south african rugby for a while on the other side, the success story of the last couple of years of South African rugby, the Lions, obviously, I think there is, uh, they're a union that, sh- that shows exactly that, that well, how they play now is probably pretty similar to the exact same vision that Johan Ackerman had when he took over the side when they weren't playing super rugby. Exactly. And they've all geared towards this vision that they're still working on improving and working on and everyone kind of buys into it. And you see new players come into that that we haven't seen in Super Rugby before perform on this level. Look at a guy like Silva Mahuza on the weekend who's just come into Super Rugby looking like a class winger at exactly. this level. Well if you look at that so a Harold Foster to go from um, Janssen Rensburg. Yeah. He was what man of the match against the Stormers? Came on after like five minutes. Yeah. After There's, you know with all the focus on Janssen Rensburg this year, the guy comes on and becomes man of the match. Yeah. He's stepping in. Again it's a step into a structure thing. So that's so so I think it's that clear vision. Whether that is perfect for every, whether the way the Lions do it is perfect for every South African rugby team to do it is another story. But it is an idea that that was, they picked a, a blueprint that is successful and have stuck by it and are reaping rewards for it. And they, and amidst all this, they're in a position to be serious super rugby contenders this year. I just found the whole thing about coaching, right? Now, this is something I also get like the Blues, sorry, the Bulls are in crisis, right? 
But from my understanding, Nolis Maria has come up through the ranks as an mm. up-and-coming coach. This guy could do great things because he's gone through the different stages, right? So he was like that, that prime candidate. Now Nas is saying, uh, you know, he must go. And other people are saying this guy's completely out of his league. Uh, all the good coaches are either going to Japan or they're going to England, Ireland around there. But I just think there's, there's always going to be a bit more than that. And the fact that you point out that unions aren't really pinpointing the fact that there's so much more that makes a popular, t- a great team than just having a good squad. So again, it goes back to support staff. The conditioning team. Apparently, the Bulls had two conditioning coaches that left because they just found the team wasn't professional enough. Things weren't being adhered to. Blueprints weren't being adhered to. So, with all these endowments that we had last year, right? Now, maybe this is why we're scrutinizing the season so hectically because last year we had this mm. amazing endowment where all these great minds got together. So, this is the first chance we got to see if any of this is filtering down. You touched on uh, just now about the fact that Sierra like all the other box, they can't play consecutive matches, right? Because this is a mm. director from the top. But what else is there? I mean, when Anastasia Garcia watches the Stormers almost take 53 weeks in a row, he must be hugely worried. When he watches the Bulls taking 60 at Loftus in front of 61 people, he must be hugely worried. You know, is, is it like a point that, I mean, obviously Garcia's got more than enough issues himself, but is he now meeting with these guys? Do you reckon this is going to be a talking point now that he then has, right guys, so on your tour, I noticed this. You know, does he have that relationship with, with, with the squads and with the unions? I'm not sure that if it does go down to that level. I mean, certainly noises have been made that it has improved from years gone by. Yeah. One thing I'll give, not I'll credit not just Alex as the Kutsia, but the unions themselves. I mean, this idea that a player could be rested based purely on a South African rugby request mm. is a new thing that I don't think would have existed 10 years ago. You, you know, we were fine. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were finding far too many franchise versus um, versus national body disputes. Well, if you look at France staying under Jack White to the Sharks. I mean, the guy could barely yeah. walk. Comes from what camp time. So, so while so our modern Super Rugby schedules doesn't um, it doesn't think I mean that players are getting enough rest that we would like to have at the optimum level. At least there is movement around towards it. I'm not sure if there is such a a kind of tactical sharing that's going on top uh, from top down to bottom in South African rugby. Um, I think that that's that kind of thing's only really going to be accomplished if we do finally pull off the goal of central contracting like our neighbors do. Mm. Because I mean at the end of the day you can't you know if a guy doesn't if a if a franchise coach doesn't actually answer to as the Kutia for his results. It's just a bit of advice coming from a friend over the phone, you know, or a colleague. Yeah. And no more than that. Whereas if there's actual directives coming down from the New Zealand Rugby Unit that are an employer of the franchise itself, that is a structure where the Springbok coaching plan could really filter down into different unions. Yeah. Well, the reason I was trying to sway the conversation that way is because, like you say, we, we're going to come up against France. Okay. Now, France aren't exactly great, but they're going to always be competitive. No matter who they throw out here, they didn't even know who they're going to send. But if Super Rugby is going to be a bit of a shambles for big teams like the Stormers and the Bulls, Cheetahs, you never know if you can ride too much on the Cheetahs because you're only ever going to pick two or three of their players anyway. Now, if it's a bit of a shambles here, Alistair Garcia is in the same position as last year. He's going to get bits and pieces. He's got to pick it up. He's got all of like a week to really galvanize it all. We can't really expect the big results. But because he's now in the second year after a 33% first year, we're expecting him to deliver or he must piss off. Mm. But you got to think, where's the guy going to get improvement from? He's got the same Super Rugby like, train smash. He's got the same unconditioned players. He's got the same expectations on him. 
it's almost unfair to even then criticize him in a certain way. It's like, I, I, what's going to change? The guy's got no, nothing going for him to make a positive change. Well, I think he's positioned himself in a way to be accountable doesn't seem the right word, but maybe it is to be more accountable for the actual Springbok results this year as opposed to last year. Mm. You know, last year was, was a 33% win rate last year, some absolutely disastrous losses. We come out the diagnosis being, well, we're not all on the same page as the unions. The conditioning is poor at everyone. Yeah. I haven't got the coaching support staff that I requested and I didn't have enough time to, to plan the year. He was appointed in April last year and mm. I didn't have enough time to get all plannings in place. So if that's the diagnosis, all those things have been addressed. If not all of them sorted completely, have certainly yeah, been exactly. improved upon. So I would, so I would just have to say, listen, if results don't improve, that that will have to be as to Kutsia's uh, Kutsia's door, regardless of the problems, even if they are domestically identical to the same ones that he inherited last year. Yeah, it's an interesting like, discussion. I mean, you know, obviously, we need to talk to someone from Saru itself to know exactly how his his responsibilities have increased. But now, looking towards Super Rugby now being cut, would you do you do you think it's a it's a clean cut situation where the Kings and the Cheetahs must fall out, or do you think we need to be a bit smarter and be a bit less emotional about the fact that what's happened has happened? Because in my mind, it doesn't matter what the team's called, it doesn't matter where the team is played. It's all geography and semantics for me. Hmm. For starters, the one little point that I want to get in there is don't just think that Super Rugby in South Africa is going to improve drastically just because six teams got reduced down to four. Yeah. Because if we look at the problems of the Bulls and Stormers and, you know, and difficulties that the Sharks have of one great week and one absolutely awful one the next. Yeah. I mean, these guys have the pick of the pick of all the talent that they want in this country anyway. So I don't think that, so I don't think that the pool is being diluted by the cheaters and the kings being around. Mm. It's guys that couldn't get into contracts with those unions in the first place, or we're just not, haven't been approached yet. That's a very good point. So, so, I mean, to think that that's going to improve the standard of rugby immediately is fine. And we've seen this problem before in South African rugby. I mean, think back to the cats in oh. the late 90s and the bulls in the early noughties. They were cats. not playing better rugby than the kings are now. So. That's a very good point. So I, I think that that's, that's one thing to address here. In terms of what, um, unions we should cut. I mean, I do think money is going to m- make a massive rule, rule of it. So, I mean, money wise, it would definitely make sense to like cut the kings and the, and the cheaters. Of course, the kings come with a whole bunch of, uh, different, um, issues as well that I'm not, but in this case, I'm not sure it's going to overweigh the economic viability of mm. the union itself. It's if we were having this I mean, conversation when they first came into Super Rugby in 2013, this might be a different story. Yeah. But now it's, 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 it's a union where even some big results that they've gotten recently has not engendered people at the ground and has not engendered mass focus on them. Yeah. I'm interested to see how it's going to be this weekend because yeah. they've actually made a physical effort to tell people to go to the stadium. Yeah. So I'm not actually sure it's viable at this point. So I think it might end up being a clear cut thing where the cheaters and the kings have to go. But on top of that, I find it extraordinarily sad. Mainly because whether we should have had six teams or not in the first place is one thing. We probably didn't. Mm. But I really don't think that we used that opportunity of having six teams right um, correctly. Because I do believe that we have a talent place to make a far better fist of it than we did in the last two seasons of Super Rugby. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt whatsoever. Again, it's just a lot of these arguments come back to the fact that it's coaching, coaching structures, coaching vision, skills coaching, coaching bases, networks. You know, I think every union should have that. But then again, because of this professional web that we've woven since 95, it's difficult to make any sort of changes, difficult to kind of be progressive because 
they've all these other little beasts have now it's like herding cats so mm. it's difficult for, even if we have the right ideas how can sorry implement that just moving away from super rugby for for a bit uh we can get back into the fixtures a little bit later um again like i started off so so enthused about this tournament now it's doing well on super brew and then I just started now watching less and less. Like, I, I still try to watch the Stormers games. I definitely watch the Lions games because I appreciate where they've been and what they do. Um, towards the box now, obviously the big thing about the progression from Super Rugby to Springbok Talk is who's going to be the next captain. So, again, you look at – let's just go through the teams before we get into the, the candidates. But if you look at the Bulls, I had no idea that Adrian Strauss – and a career of his could just drop like such a lead weight. The fact that he was, everyone will see him as probably the worst bot captain we've seen in modern times. And now what's happening with the Bulls and he's in charge of that. Wow. I mean, that's really uninspired and it's kind of unfortunate for him. A guy who had a great career prior to these moments. Um, well, Kings, obviously this is a team in jeopardy. Uh, same with the Cheetahs. You know, there's no real massive leadership coming through there. Um, Open Mahoja could be a potential. Uh, Francois Fent, of course, potential. So then it comes back to your main three teams you're looking at there. So Sharks, Stormers, Lions. Okay. Sharks, Pat Lambie's either concussed or he's got a sore leg. Uh, it's a very young team. I don't think there's any leadership going to come from there, which then leads us to Lions, Stormers. Stormers seniority is either on the bench or it's on the bench. Or it's 21. Uh, Lions obviously have the key figure of Warren Whiteley. So again, like it is, cheetahs, kings, clear-cut situation which are going to be axed. Is it a clear-cut situation? It's either going to be Sia Khaleesi, Warren Whiteley in your mind. Um, it's a, it's a very hard, it's a very hard one to judge. I, it's not even Etzebeth. I'm sorry, no, 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 fans. no. I, 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 I keep reading that. I want to keep reading that. <laughs> what is going on with that? It's a strange really, side we, argument we, that keeps we, we, popping up. We clearly up. need to be talking a lot more on air if we need to clear up thinking like this. I think it might have to end up being a clear cut decision there between Sia Khaleesi and Warren Whiteley. I mean, the two outstanding domestic candidates. Yeah. I, I do think. That problem of lack of leadership, that is one where the exodus of players, I'm not trying to offer excuses, but that is one, you know, if you do have an exodus of players, the senior Spot keeps on, getting yeah. chopped off at the top. So you will have a lack of captaincy candidates if you have this, if you, if you have this issue. Um, I don't think a Springbok captain overseas is viable and they've made, and sorry, have made noises that that would be undesirable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, not a great PR fit. It's, it's, it's a disastrous PR fit. Yeah. Um, that along with other problems that guys have seemed to have had, especially based in France, in terms of syncing up their own conditioning and fitness with yeah. what's needed for um, an international campaign in June and the rugby championship, seeking their fear cabin. So I do think that's to be domestic. And I don't know where to seek other than Khaleesi and Whiteley. Well, if you've got to think future as well, right? Now, when it comes closer to Bok time, trust me, you'll see some Dwayne Familiar articles coming out. 100%. You'll see some uh, Francois Lowe articles coming out about, is it time to now get them back in the country for 2019? But I just I just believe it's got to be kind of, you know, going back to cricket, right? The Proteas, after the whole Hunsi saga, things weren't going so well. There was turmoil. Someone took the balls, or had the balls, sorry. Obviously, I took the balls. Someone had the balls to say, right, there's Graver Smith. He seems like quite a, a, a tough, robust young man. He's 22, but we are actually going to put our eggs in his basket here. I, I reckon that's got to be the line of thinking more. We've got to keep forgetting because in rugby, again, it's like, okay, well, we've got him there. We've got him there. It's about consolidating something, though. It's an excellent analogy, that. I mean, to, to bring up like the Graham Smith scenario, look at like 2003, that was uh, – 
a team that had just recovered from the Hansi Kunia scandal, a disappointing World Cup, and an unconditioned, unfit, and by all accounts, leaning towards unprofessional Proteus outfit. Which had talent, but yet was at the verge going quite bad. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there and there it was. That was a real turning point that they had, and they did appoint a man like Graham Smith. He ended up, and you and I are both massive Graham Smith fans, what sure. he did throughout that time, and molded the, the team to what it is now. And we're at a point now where not only do the results have to change, I do think the Springbok culture needs Spot to move on. with the times as well. Yeah. And and it needs to adapt into something that's more inclusive of South African because Oh, well, we realized last year from Hanukkah Mass here on the, the identity's almost gone now. Our guys don't know if they're holding on to the past or they're tiptoeing to the future. Absolutely, they don't yeah. really know. And there seems to be an awful corollary as well when the Springboks seem to go that old problem when they try to improve their game, lose, panic, and then play more within themselves. Yeah. The Springbok culture seems to alienate itself more from the masses of South African public as well, which is a trend that I think needs to change from this point as well. The Springboks have to work on being more, more, more inclusive. Otherwise, the public are just going to alienate themselves more and more if the results don't go their way. And you look at, again, go back to cricket. I mean, those guys have really raised the bar in that respect. Uh, we had Cass Naidu here on the Gareth Cliff show this morning. And she, you know, it wasn't a cricket interview, but we touched on a few things. And when you realize what cricket's actually done, people are always going to knock it. They're always going to knock the fact that Brotier's choking big tournaments, whatever, whatever. But if you look at the fan base it's created, you look at the sort of identity it's created, and you look at the world presence that it's got right now, mm. you look at the, the Springboks on the other hand, and there's a lot of negative, but I think, you can't solve it all in one go, but I think this now, again, not to make this political, but I think this room by captaincy has never been more important to kind of get going. We can't have another interim season where we're going to give a guy a chance like Adrian yeah. Strauss. I think the fact that Strauss failed so miserably has now put even more pressure on, on this season captaincy thing. Yes. Which then, but again, like, would you look at someone like Sia Khaleesi and then say, Okay, I like him. I like what he's doing. He's definitely, he's walked the hard road to get here. I mean, the guy's been a lot of responsibility on young shoulders, but he's been the stalwart for the Stormers. Um, is he going to be a first choice player? This is another thing we look at our current uh, loose forward stocks. And again, you know, has he actually done enough or is that immaterial at this stage? We need to have this guy going forward. It's, it, and this is where this, this issue becomes so alarming for me as well. Because while I agree with you, it would be great to have a vision going forward forever. I do think also Springbok rugby needs to go, you know, um, I, I know the World Cup draw was yesterday, but I, th- I still think they need to go right. We need a, a respectable 2017. That's called number one. <laughs> and I think, I, I think, I think, you know, screw the four year plan. I think the six month plan is massive yeah. now for Springbok rugby. But I mean, it does need to have. Eating France yeah. plans also quite good. <laughs> But, but, but I do, but I do think obviously we could achieve both, you know, get the right candidate now and we could move on uh, post 2017, of course. Um, look. Okay. Put it this way. If I were to say, see, like, there's not a lot of confidence right now. Like, would you say Steel Khaleesi must be the new bot coach? Yes or no? I don't, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. And at the risk of sitting on the fence here, I want to explain myself a little bit. I hate picking Springwell captains from the armchair because I think I miss out on a whole bunch of, on, on seeing a whole bunch of credentials that will be necessary to judge the position. Right. You know, I, I don't know exactly how they communicate in the changing room. I don't know how they dress themselves. I have glimpses on the field from what I can see how they communicate with the referee mm. and like other well nice, but I don't really know the ins and outs of squad management that every candidate offers in the position. So I find it unfair outside of it to judge. But in t- so I mean, in terms of just breaking it down with the player ability, which of course has been an issue right, right down the years when we sp- pick Springbok captains, even when Jake White picked John Smith, 
that was a massive debate whether John Smith was the was the was the best hooker, which is something he carried with him pretty much his entire Springbok career. That's a World Cup winning captain that had this issue. And so look um, but looking at it, it's gonna be an issue of also just what type of rugby Alistair Katia wants to play with them as well. I mean, if Dwayne Vermeulen is going to be his eighth man going forward, if he wants the bulkier ball carrier, that a fit bulkier ball carrier, <laughs> that which is a question mark I have with Dwayne Vermeulen after seeing him how he performed last year, whether it being over exhaustion, not enough off season, whatever, he didn't look like the candidate that we've known from from years gone by. Exactly. Yeah. But if he is in a position to give that type of rugby game, then Warren Whiteley and could see a wants that from number eight. Warren Whiteley can't be Springbok captain. See, Khaleesi offers a similar um, issue on on flank. Because while I do think there's been question marks down the years whether Sia Khaleesi is a, is an open side or a blind side, I don't think he developed the, the fetching skills enough to be considered as an open side flank. I think he's got to be work on a blind side. That's my personal view. Yeah. Or we go into a game with no fetches. Um, and, but if he is on the open side, that is a real shift from the way we've treated that position in South African rugby in the past. Think your big bulking ball carriers off the side off the side of the scrum think of Villa Malbitz Juan Smith down the years Andre Fenter we yeah. go back of all this type and Sia Khaleesi changes that mold completely I'm not saying it's the wrong way to go but it's going to be a different angle to how we're going to play so I just really think a lot is going to depend on just exactly what Alistair Kutsia wants out of positions from his players and because on each level both uh, you know he's going to have to Choose one to fit in. I'm not sure if putting both in the starting lineup is going to work for him. He might need, you know, he might want to play in a way that needs more bulk back there. So it's yeah, it's such a good point. But then you know, you look at sort of team dynamics now. So again, if you're going to look at it like, okay, well, the Lions blueprint, something we've got to tap on, tap into. Therefore, majority of the squad is going to be Lions because of form. And let's be honest, come June or end of the tournament, the Lions are going to be the only team again that's got a chance of winning this thing. So on the back of that, you think, well. Can't really pick Khaleesi because ten of my players have played for the Lions. So, yeah, it's it's always frustrating. Like, not not that I not that I need to be right in life, but I like to be quite close to being where I think I know what I'm talking about. But I feel so lost right now. And with your dynamics as well, you bring in that are so true. It's I almost feel it's going to be a Stormers cop out with two captains. I almost like it'll be the <laughs> biggest tragedy, but I can almost feel it's coming again. This whole maybe there'll be two captains in a rotational basis, but again, it's like where Alex Garcia is in his career right now with the box. He kind of knows that he has to be very decisive. Mm. Like he he can't do anything grey from here on in because he had a terrible first season and he made excuses and he maybe wasn't titled to them as you mentioned, but now he has to be really decisive. Like this is just the toughest thing. That I had to strap my head around. And, and I think one of the big things that he's got to show, certainly outwardly to the public, but how we, or how we would see the team itself, is just to, uh, is just what a, uh, how strong a voice he's going to be as the Springbok coach. Because especially at the end of last year, and I know we don't want to remember the test matches in particular and the details of them, but looking back at the end of the year too and the way it ended, it looked like an extremely unhappy Springbok squad with a very, yeah. Uh, w- 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 that we're playing in a game that no one could kind of guess what direction they were trying to do with team changes chopping and changing. It, it, it didn't look like leadership was strong in that. No. So I don't know if that, so we got, he's got to, as the Katia has got to prove, it was just like, right, I mean, that was the end of a horrible year where everything had just gone wrong and on a fresh start, I'm going to start strong. It's something that he absolutely has to project. And this captaincy issue is, of course, the first and obvious point of call to show that. Well, it doesn't also help that, um, 
obviously Lambie, if you're looking at a different kind of captaincy from like a pivot yes. position, Lambie, obviously this hasn't been a great season for him. Pollard came back, didn't look a shade of the player he used to be, and now out for another eight weeks. Jean de Jong could have maybe been the other player, but he's also been out the whole season. So I, I, I hate having these excuses yeah. again, but when do these guys get a good break around <laughs> the stuff as well? Um, um, yeah, and and also and also the other part as well is when do senior players that have that have been in the Springbok setup actually step up and become a leader? That's one of the reasons we're in this problem in the first place is that no one from the 2016 vintage yeah. showed themselves to be an obvious Springbok candidate anyway. You know, no one arose from the ashes to show themselves as a major candidate, except for possibly Whiteley, but that's on a purely leadership level because the guy had an ordinary test year last year if no, you look at the stats. Yeah. but again it was, it was in a game where I don't think he knew what he was doing and his talents definitely weren't being used it was just like well you're pretty good for the Lions can you be pretty good for the Springboks too I don't know what that means but can you just go and do it yeah and, and they were also taken off kilter completely from that first loss against Ireland where you think you know you got a plan on how you're going to build your rugby and get ready for the rugby championship yeah. and it gets against a weakened Ireland that you'll say you respect but you're really expecting a win yeah. and suddenly a loss at Newlands boom wow oh my word now it's just battle stations how we're going to try to get a result next week yeah it was like and then you're doing that every single week I mean it really was like crashing a new car before you got to insure it it was just not <laughs> what they needed now um, Craig Ray wrote a really great article recently, I think it was for All Out Rugby, about the fact that maybe we should break up from New Zealand. So in light of what we've been speaking about for the last half hour, which doesn't paint a great picture for SA Rugby other than there's some, maybe some hope. Now this isn't going to happen because obviously Sands are, are with extra A's and stuff. They've got a plan together. So we are with New Zealand. They've tried to actually break up with us, if you believe Justin or, um, Andrew Merton's. But I'm always, like, maybe it's just because I like change, but the idea of maybe let's just ditch New Zealand for a while. Let's really focus inward on what our rugby is and what our players can do. Do you think there's any sort of merit in that notion? Because right now I feel it's like, okay, we just need to be as good as New Zealand. All we can think about is the top part here. We're focusing on the horizon without looking at what we're standing on. Like, it's almost like we have no idea where, where we're coming from, but we know we want to be as good as those guys. Hmm. It just, it doesn't seem, again, it goes back to not building identity, not building any skills. We're not building leadership out of that. All we're doing is we're just trying to attain, it's like this whole horrible keeping up with the Joneses of life. Do you think there's any merit in us maybe pursuing that as a rugby nation? What, just in terms of how to move away from their style, not not breaking away from... Just don't play them. We maybe, maybe cozy up with the Northern Hemisphere guys. Um, maybe just get Argentina in the mix, whatever. Yeah, yeah, massive issue there, Ben. But like... <laughs> I mean, I do agree a lot in that I think we've become obsessed with the idea of beating New Zealand to our detriment. I think that was the core of all of Heineke Mayer's problems in exactly. the end. Is that, in that exactly. striving, you know, remember, remember all those perfect, all those wonderful test matches at Ellis Park against yeah. New Zealand on the right there and the one day we won and it was all over. Try to replicate that rugby all over in the world and the problems just got deeper and deeper and deeper and then some embarrassing yeah. losses happened when we were playing at the style of rugby that we shouldn't have been playing against teams like that. Um, all of which I thought was the idea of we have to engender this type of rugby if we're going to beat New Zealand. And I think that is simmered down or to all levels, really, you know. And, and of course, it also comes from kind of lack of respect of the other, of Australia that's developed down the years as well. You know, you can whack the Waratahs by 30 points this week and the pundit's going to go, you're probably going to get murdered by a New Zealand side. So what's the point <laughs> of getting your hopes up? <laughs> that issue as well doesn't help. Yeah. In terms of northern, siding up to the northern hemisphere as a possible idea or just away from New Zealand, but mainly with the Northern Hemisphere, is that I think there's one thing. I, I do think that there has been motions in the past to 
sidle up at, at least as a as sorry using it as a bargaining chip for Sanzar agreements so just go let's just test the waters mm, up in north point, yeah. and see what we could do and from my understanding we've been flat battered on every single approach Europe in the past has been very protective of the European culture mm. and identity of its own tournament it's recently taken the decision to downsize from the Heineken Cup to the Champions Trophy that it's it is now with fantastic it. success yeah. and just I think we must stop, and as sad as this is, I think we must stop pretending that we're the prettiest girl at the dance here and think that we can just sidle up to anybody. Because to be honest, what interest does the Northern Hemisphere have at the moment in terms of inviting South African rugby into into its tournament? Mm. It's one that's only on the up. Yeah, I'll go with zero. I'll go with zero. So honestly, I think the solution is, is we got to stick with playing we got to stick with one of the, the great nations in the world, but approach it in a way without such a inferiority complex that, that keep, uh, keeping up with the Joneses gives you mm. and just try to engender our own style of play to counter that. I think we're moving away from in times when we were competitive with New Zealand in that we had styles of play that countered their style as opposed to matching them and bettering their game, which a whole bunch of guys seem to be wanting to do. And there's either too many steps to be able to do that in the short to medium term, or it's just not the South African style. Take your pick. Well, not so long ago, I think New Zealand actually stole, I mean, it was that one year we beat New Zealand three, three times, 2009. That's the one. And I think New Zealand actually stole essay rugby. They just made it sexier with guys with more tattoos because rolling malls suddenly, they were making Roly more sexy. The kick and chase yep. game, they were doing it. They were kicking the ball more than anyone else. Heineken Mayer was saying this, but Heineken Mayer essentially wasn't sexy. So people were going, oh, whatever. Yeah. You know. So it's true. It's like this inferiority complex that we're getting, which is natural because we're getting hammered and there's big, yes. there's, there's big wins out there. There's not exactly, oh, well, they were better on the day. It was like they are better fundamentally as humans. And some of these results are so bad. Just yeah. before, just before and we they're go, they're nicer in the post-match interviews, and they <laughs> seem to sell everything. You know, they're hairstyles. It's just you're right. There's a kind of they as wonderful as the All Blacks are. They hide. You know, they, they, we seem to pull. We seem to ignore in this country what emphasis they put on the basics and the ugly parts of rugby as a blueprint for their own success in yeah. this country. We're also carried away with the skills. We forget about how they get themselves into position on the field to pull these things off in the first place. Exactly. We we love this whole offload and sidestep you and know, all that kind of stuff. New Zealand backs are big. Yeah. That barge through a lot of would-be tacklers. They're, they're, all their up-and-under games are spot-on, and they all kick a lot. Yeah. All their forwards... A New Zealand side doesn't win games unless the forwards... Cliche time, front up and get them for front football. Yeah. It's these, very, it's, these guys it's, love you know, scrubbing. It's, it's, it's very rare that the, that the that the guy, that a forward pack on the back foot equals a winning New Zealand side. Mm-hmm. All these basics are spot on. The fact that they dress it up with sexiness and skills that we all want to admire is a byproduct of the other. Yeah, it's like you know you earn the right to for the champagne stuff, but it's all that legwork that go into it, and they love that. <laughs> Just um, finally, Sean, because we are towards the the end of the hour. Uh, I could talk rugby with you all day, and there is just so many different things that we still haven't touched upon. But obviously, the big talk right now is the World Cup draw. Firstly, it's held mm. way too too early. I mean, we all yay World Cup yeah. 2019. Shit, I'm gonna be old then. It's like it's a long time <laughs> to go still. Like, I go, well, what else you got yeah. planned for us, Japan? You're gonna bring some anime <laughs> rugby characters out to, to keep the interest going. The 2019, it's, it's a long way away. Um, I reckon the Springboks got particularly lucky in that pool. Now. 
if you just consider everything that we've spoken about in the last 40 minutes, there's a shit that needs to be done for us even to care about what pool we're in, essentially. But, you know, looking at it like we do in all World Cup tournaments to have this, this belief that we might have a chance of winning, I don't think it could, it could be any better because New Zealand, no matter what, will win their pool. South Africa now have the opportunity to finish second in a pool, which wouldn't have been the case if they were in, say, pool C, which yep. is sort of England, uh, France, France Argentina. Argentina. Um, pool A is Ireland, Scotland, Japan, Japan, Japan at home. They're obviously going to put a lot of emphasis in the rugby. So that's also a tough pool. Yeah. And dodged then, a bullet there again. And then pool D, you got Australia, Wales and other people. But, and Georgia. So this is it's, the easiest pool to progress in the tournaments. I feel. The, uh, yes, I agree. The only, the, the only thing I was looking forward to avoid is that the pool of death, so to speak, was always going to be the one in Argentina. The pool of death is not ruled by the first part and the second part. It's ruled by the third part. Third part, exactly. You know, who's the strongest one as an Argentina is the strongest of those by quite some way. Yeah. Japan might have been, might be a bit dark horse in the home world cup to challenge them for that kind of status. And we have pulled off avoiding both of them. Yeah. The home run was getting Georgia or Italy. In terms of the top band, look, I mean, we were in the second band, of course. In terms of the top band, it was New Zealand, England, Ireland, and Australia. If world cup was tomorrow, we're losing to three of those guys. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm betting money on that. The Pretty only, sure. te- the only team that I would be sure of beating was, Aust- well, not sure of beating. The only team that I think we'd compete with now is Australia. So the absolute home run would have been getting Australia and avoiding Argentina, but getting New Zealand and, um, and avoiding Argentina is an excellent result. That it really, great. really is in that draw. Um, and, uh, and, and looking at it, and while every kind of game, you know, we ranked seven in the world, so everyone one to six looks kind of scary at the moment ranked. But if you're looking at it from a whole and say that we're going to have a competitive team in the 2019 World Cup, if you offered me a quarterfinal, you know, that we lose the group, but you still have a quarterfinal against Scotland or Ireland, yeah, that's a good result. Take it That's all a very, very good result. And then, of course, you wouldn't have a semifinal against New Zealand, which everyone is yeah. concentrating on as well. It's a very, it's a very, very good draw, even though we're probably favorites not to win the group. Yeah, I would guess, I would guess as much. Definitely so, favorites not to win the group. Let me say that. But like, if you look at the, the talking point between the two best teams right now, okay. So New Zealand are going to be amazing. That's just what they do. They wake up. They're amazing. What do you think England's got to do in order to get to 2019? Now, in reference to the fact they've got a Lions tour to slightly use. I don't know how much they can get out of it as a, as an individual country, but from what you've seen in the Six Nations this year, and for what you see going forward, what Eddie Jones has done so far, the players he has to work with, what do you reckon that needs to be still be done for England to actually really go to 2019 and say, you know what, we're going to do this. This is actually going to be it. We're going to take New Zealand and we can win this tournament. I do think this Lions tour itself is going to have massive repercussions for England completely. I do think emotionally that the English okay. take a lot from Lions tours. Um, I think that I think they take them all in the Welsh, even in times when the Welsh were were. Um, we're dominating the Lions squads and they have massive representation in this squad as well. And I just think it's a, it's an excellent work. Look, while England have been extremely impressive under Eddie Jones, of course, they all, we all know that they haven't played New Zealand yet. Yeah. And we, and they still have to figure out what that intensity is like against this side. I think they, they're in a, they're in an excellent position to compete with them myself. I think they just have to be exposed to that style. I think England have a very, very deep pool of players at the moment. They're playing in the kind of, um, athletic way and by athletic I, I don't just mean the physical I mean the cardio test that yeah. uh, that um, the top sides are playing at this level that we're falling short of um, I think England are starting to match it I think it's more an idea of just kind of exposing themselves to the pace of the game and be able to execute what they're doing in that environment 
I think is mainly what England need to do. And I think if, if it's exposure and they keep building, I think England have a serious chance in 2019 with the talent base and the, and the coach that they have. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yesterday I wrote an article about how amazing the second half of 2017 is for cricket. Going through all of this now to think what rugby we got, you know, it's just, if we can just start making little bits of progress from a South African perspective, because world rugby is a better place for having a strong Springbok team as well. And uh, it is just so exciting here, Sean. And it's great to have you back in studio. That's all the time we have for, for this week. Um, where can we find more of you online, Sean? We can find more of me online. Um, you can catch me on the Twitters. Yep. At simply Sean underscore. Um, and you can catch if, if, if anyone's kind of Sean S-E. That's right. That's simply Sean S-E-A-N underscore on the Twitter. Um, and if anybody's kind of interested in what I kind of do outside online media, you can check out the things I do. I work for a company called Levergy that works. Uh-huh. And one of the things we do is we provide a whole bunch of sports content for clients. And if you want to pop it up and look at the work we do, some clients include Supersport and New Balance. Right. Let's see the work we're doing. That's you, you, you guys do the cricket with the Audi as well. Yes, we do. Very, very nice. All right, that is the bunch show for this week. I've got some great golfing chats coming up. Uh, next week, I've actually got a guest in studio, which is going to be very different. Do you know what kettlebells are? Do you know what you can do with a kettlebell? Um, you know, I went to the Arnold Classic last week, uh, which was amazing, by the way. I'm sure you realize that from watching my Instagram feed. Uh, so I've got a kettlebell champion coming in. That's all I'm going to say right now because I don't want to kind of spoil the surprise. But this woman can do things that none of us can comprehend. And as always, that interests me. Sean, thanks so much for making rugby interesting this week. Uh, catch you back next week. Otherwise, go on to thebounce.co.za and uh, also go on to YouTube. I'm starting, I wouldn't say I'm starting a vlog. That always just sounds so, I don't even know what that is. But, but I'm going to start creating more visual content for you. That's what I'm getting at. So hasn't I haven't started anything yet. Uh, I'm in the process of trying to require the right machinery and all that kind of stuff. But go on to YouTube. Find the bounce. Please subscribe. This is something I'm going to bug you about going forward. But trust me, there will be a reward. There'll be great content. Um, and, you know, it's just about me progressing these platforms again. If I can do that, there will be great prizes involved. This is all a balancing thing. So don't feel like I'm just going to bug you for it. But please, I'm looking to really um, take visual content on the level. And uh, it's about time. You know, I've been doing this for quite a while now. It needs to become more visual. And hopefully that will be for better content for you. Anyway, catch me on cliffcentral.com Monday to Friday on the Gareth Cliff Show as well. I can do my, my daily sports results there. Uh, just go on cliffcentral.com and find that. Otherwise, follow me on Twitter at Follow the Bounce. I could go on all day with all the things I could plug, but let's finish it there. Sean, thanks a lot. And um, yeah, weekend of rugby and football and all kinds of other stuff. Look forward to enjoy it. Cliffcentral.com